Uh, here is part four of U.S. President number 10, John Tyler, annexation achieved. Tyler was unfazed when the Whig-controlled Senate rejected his treaty by a vote of 16 to 35 in June 1844. He found that annexation was now within reach by joint resolution rather than by treaty and made that request to the Congress. Former President Andrew Jackson, a staunch supporter of annexation, persuaded Polk to welcome Tyler back into the Democratic Party and ordered Democratic editors to cease their attacks on him. Satisfied by these developments, Tyler dropped out of the race in August and endorsed Polk for the presidency. Polk's narrow victory over Clay in the November election was seen by the Tyler administration as a mandate for completing the resolution. Tyler announced in his annual message to Congress that a controlling majority of the people and a large majority of the states have declared declared in favor of immediate annexation. In late February 1845, the House approved a joint resolution offering annexation by, to Texas by a substantial margin. The Senate approved by a bare 27 to 25 majority the three days before the end of his term. Tyler signed the bill into law. After some debate, Texas accepted the terms and entered the Union on December 29, 1845 as a 28th state. Family and personal life. Tyler fathered more children than any other American president. His first wife was Letitia Christian, November 12, 1790 to September 10, 1842, with whom he had eight children, Mary, 1815 to 1847, Robert, 1816 to 1877, John, 1819 to 1896, Tyler's first wife, Letitia, died of a stroke in the White House in September 1842. His second wife was Julia Gardner, July 23, 1820 to July 10, 1889, with whom he had seven children. David, 1846 to 1827. John Alexander, 1848 to 1883. Julia, 1849-1871. 1856 to 1927, and Pearl, 1860 to 1947. Although Tyler's family was dear to him during his political rise, he was often away from home for extended periods. When Tyler chose not to seek re-election to the House of Representatives in 1821 because of illness, he wrote that he would soon be called upon to educate his growing family. He was difficult to it was difficult to practice law while away in Washington part of the year, and his plantation was more profitable when Tyler was available to manage it himself. By the time he entered the Senate in 1827, he had resigned himself to spending part of the year from his family. Still, he sought to remain close to his children through letters. Tyler was a slaveholder at one point, keeping 40 slaves at Greenway. Although he regarded slavery as an evil he and did not attempt to justify it, he never freed any of his slaves. Tyler considered slavery as a part of states' rights, and therefore the federal government lacked the authority to abolish it. The living conditions of his slaves are not well documented, but historians surmise that he cared for their well-being and abstained from physical violence against them. In December 1841, Tyler was attacked by abolitionist publisher Joshua Levitt with the substantiated allegation that Tyler had followed several sons with his slaves and later sold them. A number of African American families today maintain a belief in the descent from Tyler, but there is no evidence of such genealogy. As of August 2019, Tyler has two living grandsons through his son Lion Gardner Tyler, making him the earliest former president. 
with living grandchildren. Lyon Gardner Tyler Jr. was born in 1924, and Harrison Ruffin Tyler was born in 1928. Lyon Tyler Jr. resides in Franklin, Tennessee, and Harrison Tyler maintains a family home, Sherwood Forest Plantation, in Charles City County, Virginia. Post-presidency and death. Tyler retired to a Virginia plantation originally named Walnut Grove, or the Grove, located on the James River in Charles City County. He renamed it Sherwood Forest in a reference to the folk legend Robin Hood to signify that he had been outlawed by the Whig Party. He did not take farming lightly as he worked hard to maintain large yields. His neighbors, Wadgie Whigs, appointed him to the minor office of Oral Sea of Rose in 1847 in an effort to mock him. To their displeasure, he treated the job the job seriously, frankly summoning his neighbors to provide their slaves for road work on continuing and continuing to assist on carrying out his duties even after his neighbors asked him to stop. Tyler in eighteen sixty one. The former president spent his time in a manner common to Virginia's first families, with parties visiting or being visited by other aristocrats and spending summers at the family's seaside home, Villa Margaret. He withdrew from politics, rarely revisiting, receiving visits from his former allies. It was not sought out as an advisor. Occasion requested to deliver a public speech. Tyler spoke during the unveiling of a monument to Henry Clay. He acknowledged their political ballast, but spoke highly of his former colleague, whom he had always admired for bringing about the Compromise Terror of 1833. Prelude to the American Civil War, after John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry ignited fears of an abolitionist attempt to free the slaves or an actual slave rebellion. Several Virginia communities organized militia units or re-energized existing ones. Tyler's community organized a cavalry troop and a home guard company. Tyler was chosen to command the home guard troops with a rank of captain. On the eve of the Civil War, Tyler re-entered public life as presiding officer of the Virginia Peace Conference held in Washington, D.C. in February 1861 as an effort to devise means to prevent a war. The convention sought to compromise to avoid civil war, even as the conference constitution was being drawn up at the Montgomery Convention. Despite his leadership role in the Peace Conference, Tyler opposed his final resolutions. He felt that they were written by the Free States delegates, did not protect the rights of slave owners in the territories, and would do little to bring back the lower South and restore the Union. He voted against the conference's seven resolutions, which the conference sent to Congress for approval late in February 1861 as a proposed constitutional amendment. On the same day the Peace Conference started, local voters selected Tyler to the Virginia Secession Convention. He presided over the opening secession on February 13, 1861, while the Peace Conference was still underway. Tyler abandoned hope of compromise and saw secession as, only, as the only option, predicting that a clean split of all southern states would not result in war. In mid-March, he spoke against the Peace Conference resolutions, and on April 4th, he voted for secession, even when the convention rejected it. On April 17th, after the attack on Fort Sumter and Lincoln's calls for the troops, Tyler voted with the new majority for secession. He headed the committee that negotiated terms of Virginia's entry into the Confederate States of America and helped set the pay rate for military officers. On June 14th, Tyler resigned the Ordinance of Secession. One week later, the convention unanimously elected him to the Provincial Confederate Congress.
Tyler was seated in the Confederate Congress on August 1st, 1861, and served until just before his death in 1862. In November 1861, he was elected to the Confederate House of Representatives, but he died of a stroke in his room at the Ballard Hotel in Richmond before the session could open in February 1862. Death. Throughout his life, Tyler, Tyler suffered from poor health. As he aged, he suffered more frequently from colds during the winter. On January 12, 1862, after complaining of chills and dizziness, he vomited and collapsed. Despite treatment, his health failed to improve, and he made plans to return to Sherwood Forest by the 18th. As he lay in bed the night before, he began suffocating, and Julia summoned his doctor. Just after midnight, Tyler took a sip of brandy and told the doctor, Doctor, I am going, to which the doctor replied, I hope not, sir. Tyler then said, perhaps it is best, he died shortly thereafter, most likely due to a stroke. Tyler's death was the only one in President's decision not to be officially recognized in Washington because of his allegiance to the Confederate States of America. But he, he had requested a simple burial, but Confederate President Jefferson Davis devised a grand, politically appointed funeral, painting Tyler as a hero to the new nation. Accordingly, at his funeral, the coffin of the 10th President of the United States was draped with the Confederate flag. He remains the only president ever laid to rest under a flag not of the United States. Tyler was buried in Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia, near the gravesite of former President James Monroe. Tyler has since been the namesake of several U.S. locations, including the city of Tyler, Texas, named for him because of his role in the annexation of Texas. Legacy Tyler's presidency has provoked highly divided responses. <coughs> <coughs> highly divided responses among political commentators. It is generally held in lower esteem by historians. Edward P. Crapple began his biography, John Tyler, the Accidental President, 2006, by noting other biographers and historians have argued that John Tyler was a hapless and ended up chief executive whose presidency was seriously flawed. In the Republican vision of John Tyler, 2003, Dan Monroe observed that the Tyler presidency is generally as one of the least successful. Seeger wrote that Tyler was neither a great president nor a great intellectual, adding that despite a few achievements, his administration has been and must be counted an unsuccessful by any modern measure of accomplishment. A survey of historians conducted by C-SPAN in 2017 ranked Tyler as 39th of 43 men to hold the office. Tyler's assumption of complete presidential powers set a hugely important precedent. <coughs> According to a biographical sketch by the University of Virginia's Miller Center of Public Affairs, Tyler's insistence that he was a president and not a caretaker or acting president was a model for the succession of seven other presidents over the 19th and 20th centuries. The proprietary, the propriety of silent action, assuming both the title. <coughs> of the presidency and its full powers was legally affirmed in 1967 when it was codified in the 25th Amendment to the United States Constitution. <coughs> Some scholars in recent years have praised Tyler's foreign policy. Monroe credits him with achievements like the Webster-Ashburton Treaty, which held as a process to improve relations with Great Britain and the annexation of Texas, which added millions of acres to the national domain. Crapple argued that Tyler was a stronger and more effective president than generally remembered, while Seeger wrote, I find him to be a courageous, principled man, a fair and honest fighter for his beliefs. He was a president without a party. Author Ivan Ellen 
in an update to a, of his 2008 recovering Rushmore relate, rated all 44 U.S. presidents by the criteria of peace, <coughs> prosperity, and liberty with the finished rankings. John Tyler was ranked the best president of all time. Louis Kleber, in his article in History Today, pointed out that Tyler brought integrity to the White House at a time when many in politics lacked it and refused to compromise the principles to avoid in the anger of his opponents. Crapple argues that Tyler's allegiance to the Confederacy overshadows much of the good he did as president. John Tyler's historical reputation has yet to fully recover from the tragic decision to betray his loyalty and commitment to what he had once defined as the first great American interest, the preservation of the Union. Norma Lois Peterson, in a book on Tyler's presidency, suggested that Tyler's general lack of success as president was due to external factors that would have affected whoever was in the White House. Chief among them was Henry Clay, who was determined to realize the vision he had for America and who would brook no opposition. In the aftermath of Jackson's Determined use of the powers of the executive branch, the Whigs wanted the president to be dominated by Congress, and Clay treated Tyler as a subordinate. Tyler resented this, leading to the conflict between the branches that dominated his presidency, pointing, pointing to Tyler's advances in foreign policy. She deemed Tyler's presidency flawed, but not a failure. While academics have both praised and criticized Tyler, the general American public has little awareness of him at all. Several writers have portrayed Tyler as among the nation's most obscure presidents. As Singer remarked, his countrymen generally remember him, if they have heard him at all, as the rhyming end of a clatchy campaign slogan. Notes, Tyler was vice president under President William Henry Harrison and became president upon Harrison's death on April 4, 1841. This was before the adoption of the 25th Amendment in 1967 and a vacancy in the office of vice president was not filled until the next election. Senators were elected by state legislature until 1913, and some legislators sought to instruct their senators on certain issues. Some senators treated these instructions as binding, others did not. Contemporaries generally called this the Republican Party, but modern political writers used Democratic Republican to distinguish it from the modern-day Republican Party. At the end of the speech, Tyler briefly lauded President John Adams of Massachusetts, who had died the same day. Tyler's name did not appear in the Senate voting record until late January of the following year, likely due to illness. Michaela was assigned as a judge for both Eastern and Western Districts of Louisiana, a common practice at the time. On February 13, 1845, the two districts of Louisiana were combined. One, Michaela was a judge of that court by operation of law. On March 3, 1849, the district was again split, and Michaela was assigned to the Eastern District only. Thank you for listening to this episode on U.S. President Number 10, John Tyler. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for... U.S. President number 11, John K. Polk. I hope you stay safe. Stay home if you can. Practice social distancing if you do go out. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Use, use during this coronavirus pandemic that extends into 2021 as we look forward to a normalcy. What or if that can happen. Uh, have a good week and thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode.